What's up, guys? Welcome to Off the Dome Show 2. As promised, I'll be going through the NBA playoffs once again. This time I'll be looking at the Western Conference, which I think is going to be great because, I mean, the Western Conference is better than the East uh, talent-wise. So it'll give us some really interesting and entertaining series. And obviously the West has Golden State, Houston, and Oklahoma City, which have you know, some of the best players in the league, all just on those teams alone. And I'll also devote a small amount of time at the end of the show to the Star Wars trailer that came out yesterday for episode eight, The Last Jedi. So if you, I'm just going to tell you right now, there may be some spoilers in there. So if you've not seen episode seven, go ahead and watch it and then come back and so that you're not spoiled or just don't watch, listen to the end of the show. Um, because yeah, there could definitely be some spoilers in there, but we will be going over the Western Conference. So let's just go ahead and get into that. So the first series I'll be looking at in the Western Conference is going to be the one-seeded Golden State Warriors, which if you haven't been living under a rock, no surprise there, against the eight-seeded Portland Trailblazers. So game one of that series will be on Sunday in Golden State at Oracle Arena at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ABC. So this is actually a rematch from last year. Uh, Steph got hurt in the series before and came back in Game 4 of this series and didn't play well at first. Everybody was, you know, all eyes on him. He was the unanimous unanimous MVP. And they were trying, you know, everybody's thinking, how is he going to come back? You know, is he going to be hobbled? Is he going to not play well is he gonna be regular stuff again and through most of the game didn't play well ended up going into ot and then in ot we realized that steph curry is still steph curry had 17 points in the overtime period which was which is an nba record and put all fears to rest and that eliminated Portland, or Portland ended up being eliminated in five games. So, let's look at Portland for a second. They're not that much different. Not that much different than they were last year. They're, you know, they still rely on Damian Lillard, who is obviously a superstar point guard. Top six. I, You know, it, it's so hard to rank point guards. It's just so difficult nowadays because there's just so many good ones, especially... James Harden changing positions, you know, technically he's a point guard now. That just screwed everything up because, you know, originally you could say, okay, well, you've got Steph, Kyrie, Russ, uh, and then, you know, Damian Lillard's in there, Chris Paul. You know, you, you would have those guys, but now you throw James Harden in there and who's the top five now? You know, every other week it's a different guy. You know, for most of the season, it's kind of it's been Russ and James Harden, obviously, because they're fighting for the MVP award. It's going to be one of those two. But I mean, on any given week, Kyrie could be the best point guard in the league. You know, Steph could be the best point guard in the league any given week. Uh, you know, and even Damian Lillard, he had a couple fifty-point games this year. You know, I mean, so did a lot of these guys. But point guard position is hard to rate. But they still Portland has one of the best. In the league in Damian Lillard, bottom line. And, you know, they rely on that pick-and-roll offense. And C.J. McCollum has progressed, which has really helped them. He's become, you know, a better player. Uh, his points-per-game totals have certainly jumped. Um, he went from 20 points last year to 23 this year. Uh, career high from the free-throw line, 91%. And shooting 48% from the field this year as opposed to 44% last year. So, a little more efficient. And Portland added Yusef Nurkic uh, halfway through the season. He kind of wasn't doing a whole lot on Portland or on a Denver's bench. Especially with Jokic, you know, really turning the corner and becoming a solid big man. One of the, one of the better runs in the league, you know, in the second half of the year. So, they get Nurkic and... He comes to them and, you know, now he's averaging a double-double with this Blazers team. He's averaging 15, 15 points, 10 rebounds, and almost two blocks a game. So, 
And he's been starting. She started almost every game he played with the Blazers. He's played 20 games with them, started 19. So they really added a, a great piece there. But they've, and I mean, they haven't really fluctuated a whole lot year to year, though. You know, their their points per game totals, their opponent points per game, offensive. The only thing that really changed most was their offensive rating. They went from sixth in the league to 11th. So that's points per 100 possessions. They went uh, to one, you went back to 110 which is 11th in the league. And their defense is one of the worst. 110 per game. 110.8. 24th of 30 teams. So, team hasn't changed a whole lot. Now, Golden State, they've changed a little bit. You know, uh, <laughs> they went from losing in 7 to Cleveland, giving up that 3-1 lead. There you go. There's that number again. You know, and then they signed all-star center Zaza Pachulia, and their fortunes changed instantly. Of course, I'm kidding. They signed Kevin Durant in the offseason, top three player in the league. And they instantly became title favorites right away. And really, throughout the year, that opinion didn't change a whole lot. They're still one of the best teams in the league, or the best, who you talk, whoever you talk to. And it was interesting, you know, a lot of people said, oh, well, their numbers are going to drop. This team's going to be different. You know, Steph's going to not shoot as much. Clay's not going to shoot as much. What's going to happen to Draymond? You know, it's going to fall apart. How is KD going to affect them? Their numbers are going to just fall. Yeah, okay. We saw through the season that was not at all true. Clay Thompson's still the same. He's still somebody that could score 30 and a quarter, and you wouldn't be surprised. Steph is still a top five point guard. You know, granted, I've you know I I, I really agreed that he should have been unanimous unanimous MVP last year because I felt like he was just the best player in the league at the time. But he did get exposed in the playoffs a little bit. I think his defense, a lot of people saw that he's really not a good defender, which I didn't realize. You know how bad it was until I was watching him play. You know, Damian Lillard, Russ, Kyrie you know, in three straight series. Yeah, he's got some problems on that end. But he's still, you know, top five, probably still a top five point guard in the league. And the guy that's been big for Golden State that has really made the big change is Draymond, Draymond Green. Because what you see with a lot of these super teams is that someone has to take the sacrifice. Somebody's going to have to, you know, a, a lot of the time, I think the numbers don't, fall a lot for certain players when they come here and that's what happened you know KD, clay and steph their numbers haven't changed a whole lot steph averages five less points per game but i mean you're adding kevin durant so yeah that might happen but draymond has been the guy that's been key for them his numbers dropped a lot this year but you know you need you need somebody to take that drop you know chris bosh did it in miami you know kevin love has done it a little bit in cleveland and Draymond's kind of just become a, def a lockdown defender. He's kind of, you know, not taken as much on the offensive end and decided, okay, fine, I'm just going to shut down whoever your best player is, whoever your best. And, and he can do it with both. I think he should be defensive player of the year this year. I think it's going to be a tough – it'll be tough between him and Rudy Gobert, which, of course, I'll talk about later because they're in the playoffs. But I think Draymond should win it. Because he can really defend any position, and he's been fantastic at that this year. He can defend a wing, he can defend a big, he can do it all. And he can also just get in your head, get in your face. He's that type of guy. So, I think ultimately, my key guys for this series are going to be KD. Normally, normally when I say, you know, the, the key guy, the guy to watch for, it's normally a bench guy or somebody that, you know, isn't the star player. But... It's going to be Kevin Durant because it'll be down it'll come down to his health. He, you know, was hurt a little bit and he was just coming back near the end of the year, so he'll be in decent condition for the playoffs. But with the Blazers, no one can defend him. No one can guard him. In the four games that they played Portland, the Warriors played Portland this year, KD had at least 30 points in 3 out of the 4 of those games. I think in the other game he had 28 or he had 20-something. And 
I mean, the one game he had 30-something points on, like, 16 shots. Extremely efficient because no one on Portland can defend him. And I guess the guy for Portland that I would look for is probably Nurkic. Yusef Nurkic. I mean, he's averaging a double-double. And I, the big men for Golden State, that's their weakness. You know, all-star centered Zaza Pachulia. Yeah, well, he's not an all-star. But... So that'll be where they're going to need to look for. Um, because Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, I expect them to play well. I don't think that'll be an issue. But somebody else is going to have to step up, as is with a lot of teams that have a couple superstars. You need that one guy to kind of just come in and step up and play well. And I think it'll be Nurkic. Can he lock down the, the inside? Can he get the, get rebounds when Golden State misses on rare occasions? That'll be key for them. But my prediction for this series is pretty simple. Although I think a lot of people probably think it's going to be 4 nothing. I'm going to give Portland one game. I'll say 4-1 Golden State. I'll give Portland one win. That maybe they can, you know, Damian Lillard said, Blazers in six. Well, what else is he going to say? But I'll give him one. I'll give you one win. I think they can maybe pull out one one win with Golden State where this is, you know, their first, maybe it could be even game one, you know, where it's the Golden State's first series, this team playing in the playoffs together. And, you know, who's going to be, you know, if, if maybe there could be some, maybe not chemistry issues, but, you know, shot issues where KD wants his, you know, he knows it's a playoffs. It's his time. This is why he came here, you know, to win in the playoffs, you know, or, but Steph's thinking, well, I'm Steph. <laughs> this is my time, you know, whatever. So I think maybe th- there could be a chance that maybe Portland could grab one win, but we'll see. I could easily see it being a sweep as well because Golden State's just that freaking good. But my prediction, 4-1 Golden State. So let's go on to series number two. So on the second series of the Western Conference playoffs that I'll take a look at, we have the second-seeded San Antonio Spurs against the seventh-seeded Memphis Grizzlies. So game one of that series is going to be on uh, today uh, in San Antonio at 8 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. So let me give you a bit of irony for your Saturday afternoon as I record this at about 1 o'clock. We've got about two more hours before the NBA playoffs officially kick off with Cleveland and Indiana. But let's give you some irony here. So, James Harden, MVP candidate, right? So recently, a couple of days ago, he mentioned that wins should be what matters when voters look at, you know, who should win the MVP award. And, you know, and obviously this was essentially in response to how a lot of people were kind of writing it off as, okay, Westbrook's going to win the MVP. You know, he's going to average that triple-double. He's going to beat Oscar Robertson's triple-double record in a season. He did both of those things. And there you go. But Harden, obviously, was going to defend himself and say, well, you know, I have 54 wins. So I think, you know, hey, I didn't, he didn't say that explicitly, but what he, what he means is, you know, team record should matter the most because his Houston Rockets are have a lot more wins than Oklahoma City does. But the irony of that statement is that he he wouldn't win the MVP. If you if you want team record to matter the most, James Harden's not winning that award. Neither is Westbrook. Neither is LeBron. Kawhi Leonard is winning that award if we talk about team records meaning the most. And Kawhi has been fantastic this season. 61 wins for San Antonio led by Kawhi Leonard, averaging 25.5 points per game. He's been, he is my favorite player in the league for a lot of reasons. I I will always be amazed that he has more career steals than fouls. Now, I'm not sure if that's still accurate, but it, about midway through the season, that was still accurate. Blows my mind. When you really just sit back and think about that, that's almost impossible because just of how the NBA is nowadays, especially 
where you're getting a lot more foul calls, that's crazy. And a lot of them, it's not just, you know, off-ball defensive steals. He's picking guys' pockets. He's picking guards' pockets, going coast to coast, throwing a nice little one-hand dunk, you know. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. He's really one of the best players in the league, and he's continued to improve year after year. And he's scoring 25 points a game in a Spurs system that, you know, is all about team basketball and ball movement. And it's not like he's not moving. It's not like he's not moving the ball or that he's, you know, oh, he's taking more shots than everybody else. He's really not. He's just that good. You know, they lose, you know, Tim Duncan retires and there we go. Kawhi Leonard's right there. Take that mantle as the star player for them. I've liked the Spurs for a long time. Not really a long time. I really kind of became a fan of them in 2014 after, you know, they won a title against Miami. Should have been back-to-back titles, if not for one of the most miraculous plays in NBA history. Ray Allen getting that three-pointer in the corner after a Chris Bosh rebound. With Tim Duncan not on the floor. I love Popovich, but come on, man. You're in a closeout, closeout possession, and you've got Tim on the bench. I'll never know why that why that happened. But anyway, I've liked them since 2014 because the Spurs are just, to a basketball purist, what what a what a team, just ball movement, and a lot of that's why a lot of people think they're so boring because oh they just move the ball, they don't oh they don't get the fancy dunks, they don't get the alley oops. The threes, you know, the the crazy three-pointers. They're not Steph Curry shooting from half court. They're not, you know, LeBron getting an alley-oop, defying athleticism. But they move the ball like no one else. And that's why I love them in 2014. They beat prime LeBron James primarily by just moving the basketball, unselfish. Just beating a tough Miami defense by just swinging it everywhere. And that's also why I love Kawhi Leonard because Kawhi Leonard was second year in the league, I think, at that time. Second year, third year in the league. And he shut down prime LeBron in 2014. I, I, and that's <laughs> that's not hard to do. That's that's not hard. To, that's hard to do. Or that is hard to do. <laughs> that That's hard to do now. LeBron's 32, and that's still difficult to do. Imagine, what, three years earlier when he's 28, 29, and you got to try and shut down LeBron coming down the lane or, you know, on the wing when back in Miami when LeBron was taking a lot more, you know, pull-up threes and, you know, pull-up jump shots. That's that's phenomenal. And that's why I've loved Kawhi for a long time. That's why he's been my favorite player for a while. But anyway, talked about the Spurs a lot. Memphis, the Grizz. David Fisdale, first head coaching job this season. He's done a pretty good job. He's done a pretty good job. Memphis is third in points per game, opponent points per game, only allowing 100 on the dot points per game. Uh, Now, granted, their pace is (laughs) one of the slowest in the league. Uh, 92.3, that's 28th out of 30 teams. Very slow. But that's also because of their play style. This, you know, grit and grind era. But it's starting to fade out a little bit. A lot of their guys that kind of made that a staple in Memphis are starting to get older. You've got Tony Allen, you know, Zach Randolph, uh, Marcus Saul. They're all 30-plus. Tony Allen, Zach Randolph are both 35. And Marcus Saul's 32. So they're kind of starting to get a little older. You can't really, you know, just grind people down low, beat beat them up and play tough defense when you're, you're, you know, so much older than a lot of these other guys. And the West has a lot of great, athletic, quick guys, especially in the bigs, too. You've got, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis. I could go on and on. But so this era is starting to fade out, but David Fisdale is playing a lot of old guys, and they're just, they're balling. He's getting, how old is Vince Carter now? Is he like 45? And he's getting, he's getting valuable minutes out of Vince Carter. And that's, you know, a testament to Vince Carter. I don't mean to diss him. But, I, I mean, you know, Fisdale's done a good job with what he has. They managed to get a 17 in the West. Not easy. West is a good conference. West is a lot better than the East. And Memphis is interesting. They've given the Spurs some problems in the past. I think it was in 2011. 
they upset the Spurs. I think it was like one against eight or two against seven seeds, and Memphis won, um, which was pretty crazy back then because the Spurs were obviously a lot better. They still had Tim Duncan. They still had Manu. Uh, Tony Parker they still had a lot of those guys and they, those guys were still playing well they weren't as old you know they weren't as old so Memphis has certainly gotten in the Spurs grill a little bit in the past a lot due to that grit and grind era but I'm not sure it's going to happen this time around I think the Spurs are just too good they're just a lot better LaMarcus Aldridge Pau Gasol Kawhi uh, you know Danny Green's still there they got a, They still have a lot of great, a lot, a, just a great team. 62 wins. So, uh, my key players for this one, for the San Antonio, I'm going to go with Jonathan Simmons. He's a guy off the bench, a guard who, you know, has had a lot of poster dunks this year on guys. He's he's played pretty well. Uh, he's had a good year. So, I'd look for him to be a guy maybe off the bench. The Spurs get a little spark in some games where he might score, you know, 10 points or 16 point you know do, do something like that well he'll have a good game and san antonio will roll by um and for memphis i'm gonna go with the point mike conley been a leader with this team for a long time and now this now this guy is underrated you know everybody says Kawhi leonard's so underrated well you keep saying he's underrated he's not going to be underrated anymore you know if you keep giving him all the media attention but i mike conley is definitely an underrated guy. He's been a great, you know, a solid, solid pro for a long time. A lot of teams would want to have Mike Conley. Granted, I don't know if he should have had the most lucrative contract in NBA history, you know, for a time this summer. But, I mean, Memphis had to keep him because they know how important he is to the team, to the culture that Memphis has created. So... I look for Mike Conley to be the difference. You know, it's Tony Allen's hurt. They signed Chandler Parsons in the offseason. He's hurt. Memphis is a little banged up. So look for Mike Conley to try and lead them. You know, try and beat Tony Parker. Try and, you know, take advantage. But ultimately, I think San Antonio is too good. I'm going to go with 4-1 San Antonio. Spurs win in five games. Memphis has given them problems in the past, but I don't think that's going to continue with this series. I think that San Antonio is just too good, and I think they'll move on. So let's go to the third series, which, what a series. So for this third series, the basketball gods have given us another gift. I mentioned last podcast, the, the basketball gods gave us a gift with uh, Lance Stevenson going up against LeBron again in the Cleveland uh, Indiana series but they have really given us something here with this third Western Conference series the third seeded Houston Rockets against the six seeded Oklahoma City Thunder game one on Sunday in H-Town Houston at 9pm Eastern Time on TNT wow Look at what we got here. We've got the two MVP candidates going up against each other in round one. Can't really ask for much more. Extremely entertaining. A Houston team that just chocks threes whenever they see an opening. And, you know, led by Mike D'Antoni. This, you know, quick offense that he made famous in, in Phoenix. How many years? You know, 10 years ago. 10, 12 years ago. He should be coach of the year, by the way. Houston had an extremely large jump. <laughs> they went from, you know, eighth seed last year to third seed this year. And just, I mean, just eye test. Phenomenally better. Exponentially better. Putting Harden at point guard was huge for his career. He went from one of the, you know, the best shooting guard in the league to MVP candidate. So we get to see that Houston team up against the ragtag Oklahoma City Thunder led by triple-double man Russell Westbrook. Human highlight reel, human wrecking ball, human flash, Russ, Harden. Now, the NBA Awards are in June this year, which is interesting for the reason that could this series p 
possibly decide who the MVP is to voters. Because normally, we would have the MVP decided around now. It would be around, you know, the first round of the playoffs or, you know, uh, right before, right at the end of the regular season, somewhere around there. But if we're getting them in June now, there's a lot of basketball to be played. So this series could really show, you know, to voters who is truly the most valuable player. Now, I don't know if uh, my view on it is is kind of complicated. I mean, I, I think it, it would make sense to kind of look at this series as one that could decide the MVP because ultimately you've got both of them playing each other and they're going to be matched up against each other, you know, 90% of the time. But at the same time, you really should take that regular season into account, which they both had fantastic regular seasons. Obviously, Westbrook triple-double average and, you know, the 42 triple-doubles in a season breaking Oscar Robertson's record. But Harden also had a pretty darn good year. Uh, he was he was scoring or assisting on 56 points per game. And the NBA record for that in a single season is 56.8. Harden was 56.3. And that was set by Tiny Archibald back in 72 73 season that's that's pretty darn impressive too that's that's not something to frown at you know we're, we're getting some really great stuff with this series i think i really hope it goes to seven i really hope it goes to seven but you know we'll see um and i think for for this my key guys there are a lot of key guys in this one because there are a lot of good players in this there are a lot of good bench guys in this uh in this series I think the matchup I'm gonna look at is gonna be Victor Oladipo it's gonna be basically the shooting guard the shooting guard matchup Oladipo against the two shooting guards for Houston and Eric Gordon who should probably be six man and Lou Williams you know Oladipo hasn't really progressed a whole lot you know, he got traded from Orlando. I mean, hasn't really changed all that much. You know, he had averaged 16 points a game last year. He's averaging 15 this year, 15.9. So, it's I mean, it's about the same. I mean, really, across the board, his stats aren't that much different. It, it didn't really seem like he did a whole lot, you know, progressed a whole lot. But, I mean, he's still a good player. And he'll still be somebody that can swing the series, possibly, for OKC. If he, you know, steps up in one game and has 20-something and, you know, Russ has 35 and, you know, 10 and 8 or whatever, like he always does. And for Houston, we've got a pair of, you know, excellent scorers off the bench. You've got Eric Gordon, a guy who, you know, again, I keep bringing up my midseason awards piece on studentsectionsports.com because I was wrong on so many things. And I had Lou Will as the uh, Lou as the uh, as the Sixth Man of the Year this this year, and at the time he was still on the Lakers, uh, but he was averaging 18 points a game off the bench. So, I mean, that's still as a Sixth Man. You know, yeah, the Lakers are trash, but that's still pretty darn good. You know, as as a guy off the bench, but ultimately it should go to Eric Gordon. Because here's a guy who also was coming off the bench, but playing for a much better team. And, you know, really having great numbers. 16 points a game off the bench for them. You know, uh, shooting the three-point ball well, thirty pretty well, 37%. Uh, really being a guy that they can look to, you know, when Harden's double-teamed or when Harden's got the best matchup you know, assigned to the best defender. You can go to Eric Gordon. He'll hit the three for you. He'll score. He'll get buckets. So I look for that matchup, the shooting guard matchup, to be a very important one in this series. And ultimately, for Oklahoma City, it's just the real question is who is going to step up for them? You know, obviously I mentioned Oladipo, but who else is going to do it? Is it going to be Steven Adams, Ennis Cantor, even Dougie McBuckets off the bench, uh, Demonis Sabonis, 
because as we've seen a lot this year with OKC, Russ can't do it himself. You know, he can he can try. <laughs> I mean, Russ will certainly try to do it himself. You know, and will his team to wins, but sometimes it just doesn't happen, especially against the good teams. You know, OKC didn't play well against Golden State this year. Russ tried to will them to those wins, but when you play good teams, you know, it's it's harder to try and just will your way to a victory because there's just good talent. It's harder. It's a lot harder. So obviously my key players to this one, I said Oladipo would be a key. Yeah, I guess I kind of already did that. Oladipo and I think Eric Gordon, Lou Williams. I might even throw in Ryan Anderson in there as a potential guy to kind of stretch the floor for Houston. He's done that all year. And, you know, I think that'll be a good guy for them that can maybe give them a little bit of, uh, a little bit of, you know, three point shooting and stretch out a guy like Steven Adams and his canter, force them to go outside a little bit more, open the floor for Harden to penetrate like he does so well. So, my prediction for this one this is going to be a really, really fun series. I really hope it goes to seven. And that's what I'm saying. It's going to go to seven. And I think the Rockets will win it. I think they're just a better team. Russ is going to try really hard. He'll get probably get like two triple doubles and get a near third one. But, you know, I just, I don't see OKC getting getting past Houston. I think James Harden's done it all year. He's going to show that, you know, maybe I am an MVP. <laughs> maybe Maybe you guys have just been absorbed in the triple-double aspect, but you're not looking at who's really the most valuable, who's really getting wins for their teams. So I'm going with Rockets in seven. And finally, to round out the Western Conference first-round playoffs, we have the fourth-seeded Los Angeles Clippers against the fifth-seeded Utah Jazz. So game one of that series, that's going to be late night tonight in Staples Center at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. So, the Los Angeles Clippers and the Utah Jazz. Identical records. Both came in at 51 and 31. Uh, L.A. managed to get the tiebreaker in the last game of the season. They just had to win. So they got the fourth seed in the home court advantage. But these are completely different teams. You've got the Utah Jazz with one of the best defenses in the league. The literally the first team in the league in opponent opponent points per game, 96.8. That's the best number, the lowest, I guess lowest number in the league. And great defensive rating, only 105 points per 100 possessions. That's third best out of 30 teams. And a lot of that is testament to their big man, Rudy Gobert. Their big French center, the Stifle Tower. He's a Defensive Player of the Year candidate, and he certainly would be deserving if he won it. Averaging 14 points, 12 rebounds, and nearly three blocks a game, 2.6. You better not bring it in. Don't bring it inside, because it's not, it's not going in. It's getting swatted when you go up against Gobert. Pretty underrated guy. You know, when you talk about all the great centers, you're normally talking about DeMarcus Cousins, even DeAndre Jordan, but Gobert's up there. He certainly proved that this year. And then, of course, for Utah, the guy leading the offensive side of the ball, Gordon Hayward, who's steadily progressed since coming out of college at Butler. So he's gone from back in 2013, 2014, 16 points, then moved up to 19.3, then moved up 19.7. This series at 21.9. He's steadily improved. Really a pretty darn good scorer for them. That's who you look for on the offensive end. And he's in a contract year. He's got a t- he's got a player option that he can use next year, but I you know, he probably will go into free agency. I think you know, at least he might still stay in Utah, but, you know, to still get more money because he's more valuable than what his player option is. 
So look for him to play to you know to try and play well, you know try and score a lot and maybe even just show other teams what he's capable of for that you know free agency period where try and get some money, try and cash in. So for this Utah team, the issue for them is playoff experience. They don't have a whole lot of it. I think the last time they were in the playoffs was a couple of years ago, or not a couple of years ago, about I think six years ago. I think the last time they were in was maybe 2012, if I'm not mistaken. It's Bottom line, it's been a while for the Jazz. They haven't been in the playoffs in a while. So a lot of their so naturally a lot of their players don't have a whole lot of playoff experience. So they're going to need some of their veterans to kind of lead in that way. Uh Boris Diaw who's obviously been there a lot of times with San Antonio in the past. And uh Iso Joe, Joe Johnson. He's been there a few times. You know, Phoenix in the past and you know, he was there with the Nets a few years in Brooklyn. Went to the playoffs a few times. So they're going to need to lead those guys and, you know, kind of show them, okay, here's how it goes. Here's how the playoffs are. You know, it's a different animal. And, I, you know, you look to them to be the leaders. I mean, they're obviously they're bench guys, but there's, you know, they're going to need to kind of give some experience to these guys. Say, look, here's, how, here's what's going to happen. This is why, the, you know, these games are all important. And, you know, got to play up to the moment now with the Clippers now they are among the best teams on the offensive side of the ball 108.7 points per game six best in the league uh their offensive rating 112.7 that's 112 points per 100 possessions fifth best in the league out of 30 and for them yeah it comes down to the offensive end also I mean yeah, it's mostly offense, bottom line. And, you know, it's just tough. This team is always just underwhelming. I mean, and it's hard for a 51-win team to be underwhelming, but they just can never manage to get uh, just get them to the conference finals. Please, can we just get CP3 a ring? Can we get Chris Paul a ring, please? God, he's been, you know, top five point guard in the league his whole career. Can we just get the guy a freaking ring? I mean, because we all know that that's going to be what people criticize him for in the at the end of the day. You know, when we look down the road and he retires and he's got no ring, that's what people are going to criticize him for. And it's so just, it's frustrating because we've seen him be one of the best guards in the league for so long. But you just got to get that ring on your finger or else, you know, you might not be looked at as one of the best. And that's tough. Because he really is one of the better point guards that we've ever had in the league. And he's in a contract year this year. So is Blake Griffin, who's been Blake Griffin, as usual, when he's healthy. Played just as well as he normally does. So, you know, those two guys are in contract years. You know, Blake's averaging 21 a game, 8 rebounds, almost 5 assists been playing really well and for the clips their advantage is playoff experience ironically you know opposite to the the team that they're playing they this this team has been through a lot together they've been through a lot of second round exits you know first round exits but that's still experience they've had a few you know clips have been in the playoffs for how many consecutive years now you know since this big three came together since this chris paul uh, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, kind of big three-ish came together. They've got a lot of experience together. And even the guys that haven't been there as long, you know, J.J. Reddick's been there for the past couple of years, but he's got playoff experience. He was playing in playoff games in Orlando. And obviously Paul Pierce has a whole lot of it. I mean, he might not get a whole lot of playing time, but he's got that experience. He can He can tell the young guys. Okay, here's what you got to do. Here's here's what it's going to be about. You know, I think experience will play a big role in this series because, as I said, Jazz are Jazz don't have a whole lot of it. They haven't been here before. Clips have plenty of times. And uh, I think the key players for this for this series, 
are ultimately going to be J.J. Redick, first of all. Um, I think he'll be a guy that, you know, can stretch the floor. He's done that all year pretty pretty darn well. He's been pretty fantastic at that, uh, doing that for the, the Clippers. And I guess for Utah, it would have to be someone on their bench. You know, is Joe Johnson going to be the guy to step up and, you know, score some big buckets? You know, Dante Exum's been getting some more playing time. Is he going to be somebody that's going to come in and, you know, play well for them, make some plays? Uh, I mean, Derek Favors is a, is a pretty darn good good player. You know, will he come in and, and make some plays? Ultimately, it'll be the offense that's going to matter for Utah. It's going to be somebody on the offensive end that's going to have to put it together. Obviously, Gordon Hayward's going to get his. But who else is going to get theirs? I think that'll be that'll be the big the uh, the big game the big key. So for my prediction for this one, I've got the playoff experience less Utah Jazz in seven. I think it'll be a tight series because the Clips have that that playoff advantage, and unfortunately, we will go yet another year without Chris Paul getting a ring. I just, I think he should go somewhere else. I, unfortunately, I, I think it's not going to happen in L.A. They've tried for a long time now, and it just hasn't been working. So, I think it'll be some. he's going to have to go somewhere else. I don't know where Blake Griffin's going to go. He could go anywhere. You know, I mean, he was almost going to get traded to Boston sometime in, you know, the midseason. There were rumors about that, and who knows where he'll go. But I think Chris Paul needs to go somewhere else. He's got to got to figure somewhere else out because I don't think it's happening in L.A. for the Clippers. Going with Jazz and seven. So there are my predictions for the NBA Western Conference playoffs. Should be great NBA playoffs overall. Really looking forward to watching. Got about an hour before the first game tips off. Recording this at about one fifty, so... We'll get that first Cavs-Pacers series in a minute. But, as promised, to round out the show, let's talk about Star Wars. Long time ago, galaxy far, far away. Let's go. So, this weekend, Star Wars Celebration is happening in Orlando, Florida. And for any of those who are unaware of what Star Wars Celebration exactly is, it's essentially a collection of... Star Wars nerds, all together in one place. It's about one time a year. And it's four days of just, I mean, celebration, honestly. You've got a lot of fans together. They go, you know, they look at fan-made merchandise, memorabilia. Uh, They, you know, get autographs from people all around the Star Wars universe, uh, you know, actors and all that. Um, Just a whole lot of great stuff around Star Wars. And obviously, seeing as... In December, we will get the second installation of the prequel, or the sequel trilogy, whatever, the the second trilogy that we're getting. Uh, we had episode seven two years ago in December of 2015, and this year we are getting Star Wars episode eight, The Last Jedi. Wow, that's ominous. And <laughs> if you wanted the trailer to be less ominous, uh, it wasn't at all if anything way more ominous i have no idea where this movie's going um obviously we're stuck or we were before you know at the end of episode seven and i again said at the beginning of this podcast if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want spoilers go see the movie don't listen to what i'm saying right now obviously because i'm going to spoil some things possibly i guess um but so we get the same place that we were at the end of episode seven for most of this trailer. We see Luke training Ray and only Luke is really dark, like really dark in terms of, you know, his thought process and his thinking, you know, he says at one point it's time for the Jedi to end, which is like, Whoa. Okay. Uh, (laughs) well, you're training Ray, so I don't really see how the Jedi are going to end. But that's obviously that'll probably be explained. 
Uh, but there are a lot of di- a lot of different things in that. Obviously, we get Kylo Ren again, um, who's just as moody and dark as ever. And I think I'm not sure. I haven't seen a lot of people look at this, but in the one of the opening shots of the of the trailer, we see this like kind of mashed up metal on the ground, and it's like dark. And you kind of get the. I think they have the Darth Vader, the little like breathing thing in it. And I think that might be Kylo Ren's mask. I think maybe. Maybe they're kind of doing away with that because that that drew a lot of criticism in episode seven. The fact that, you know, he wore this mask and it was so, you know, he actually had a little bit of, you know, character to him that, you know, it was like, oh, okay, this is the next Vader. You know, he's going to be this ominous guy. And then he takes the mask off. Why would he do that? What that, that ruins the whole aspect of being a dark, you know, scary, ominous villain. If you take the mask off, then okay, now we just see you normally. You know, it kind of ruined a little bit of that. And maybe they kind of decided to do away with the mask and kind of just break it off and have Kylo Ren just be normal, you know, like a normal human being without a mask on, which would probably help. Um, But yeah, so we get to see, you know, Ray training. We get to see her tap into the force a little bit. There's that shot of her with her hand on the ground and the pebbles kind of rising a little bit. So she's tapping into it what we assume is her force power a little bit that she showed in episode seven in the lightsaber battle with uh, Kylo Ren. So we get a little bit of that. And this episode seven was criticized at first because a lot of people thought it was basically episode four, just redone. I mean, star killer base. Really? Really? You couldn't have come up with anything better. You know? Oh, that's not the death star. Yeah. Okay. So that got a lot of criticism and I'm not sure where they're going to go with eight. If they're going to kind of go along the episode five route where it's kind of like, you know, episode four is like, oh, yay, rebels win. Woohoo. We destroyed the base. And then Vader comes back in five and says, ha ha. Yeah, right. And kind of, you know, messes up the Hoth base, destroys that within, you know, 40 minutes of the movie. And, you know, at the end of five, it's kind of like, okay, well, this isn't as one-sided as you thought. The Empire still has some some moxie to him. And I guess we'll see in eight if, you know, the the First Order kind of comes back and, you know, punches back a little bit, you know, pushes the Resistance back. I'm interested to see what they're going to do with Leia um, because, obviously... Um, Obviously, Carrie Fisher passed away a few months ago, and she's still in this film. Obviously, the the filming was done, so I guess she could have a role in it. I guess maybe I'm more interested in what they'll do down the road um, to General Organa. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you know, it looks like the the First Order kind of fights back in this one. Um, We we see, you know, Poe Dameron sprinting around a around a hangar that's exploding and then uh, presumably in the same hangar you see Captain Phasma come out you know out of the the uh the smoke and she's got you know stormtroopers with her kind of along that again along that episode five you know where you go into the Hoth base and you see Vader come out you know with all those snow troopers after the whole base is breaking down and Vader comes through and is saying find the rebels you know, you get that sense of the, of the same themes. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. And then Finn is still, you know, there's a shot of him in that sleeping. Uh, so, you know, and it looks like a healing pod. So presumably he's still incapacitated after the battle at the end of episode seven, where he gets kind of slashed by Kylo Ren. And, you know, at the end of that movie, you kind of see him, trying to get healed and he's you know resting so i wonder how long that's gonna last i mean like i understand you know a lightsaber slash to the to the chest or you know to the to the side isn't really gonna heal very quickly but at the same time is it really gonna be a full movie where we're still not gonna have that guy healed or i wonder if maybe it's gonna be one of those things where you know it looks like they're doomed and then all of a sudden you know a la han solo you know, coming in at the last second, here comes Finn out of nowhere, he's healed, 
then he saves the day or you know saves Ray from being killed or something. Um, I wonder where Snoke's going to come in in all of this as well. They didn't really touch on him at all, and he wants he's got some beef with Skywalker, so he's trying to he's trying to find him, trying to kill him, and Skywalker says it's time for the Jedi to end. So, I mean, he really. I think Luke might get killed off in this one. I got a feeling. I mean, I don't know. You know, he might not even leave that planet. Who knows? Again, we, as much as this gives us, this trailer gives us, it also doesn't give us a whole lot at all, um, which is what makes a great teaser trailer. Star Wars did a good job of this. Lucasfilm did a good job of this. Because there's still a lot of questions. We have some things that seem to be answered, but there's still a whole lot that we don't know. And I'm really looking forward to that movie. I didn't seven. I had some qualms with. I felt like there were some things that they didn't do well, and that maybe they didn't go with canon on certain things. But you know, I kind of tempered my frustrations because I figured, well, it's the first movie. You know, let's see if they address some of those things in in the latter movies. So I'm excited, very excited for the Star Wars. So. I guess that's going to do it for the second show of Off the Dome. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Go watch the playoffs. They're going to be great. See ya. See ya.